You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us this week is Kent Backus. Kent is NCBA's Senior Director for International Trade and Market Access. Kent, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Ed. All right. I think the last time that you were on the podcast um, was in early March. And I think you guys were at Heath, you and Ethan were at Heathrow Airport. You were coming back from uh, some trade talks in London, and I made a joking reference like, don't bring, back, don't bring back coronavirus with you. And then, boom, like everything went into a shutdown and lockdown, and we've been talking about uh, nothing but the virus and its impact on the economy and on cattle markets and on supply chains um, ever since. Um, but I'm happy to talk to you again about trade. So in the past three months, um, while we've been dealing with this uh, pandemic and the, and the uh, ramifications that it has brought to our economy and to our industry, um, the entire world didn't really shut down. Um, trade talks have continued. Um, can you just give us an update on what's been going on since the last time that we talked on this podcast when you guys were in, uh, in Heathrow Airport? Yeah, so I mean, we, you know, the the world keeps turning, and you know, unfortunately, while uh, our industry is has really been suffering uh, from the impact of, of COVID nineteen, and not only have businesses suffered, but but families and personal relationships too. We we uh, we've continued to to do the work. We've continued to to work with our government, with other governments, uh, to try to open more export markets and to bring some relief to American beef producing families. And, you know, I think uh, a couple of big things that have happened, we've seen the, the further implementation of the phase one deal with China. I think that is uh, something that is going to have some, some long-term benefits for us. Uh, we're already seeing that market continue to grow. Uh, and so we, we really applaud the U.S. government and all the you know, federal employees who've just been sticking with it and making sure that that, that agreement goes through. But also, our trade negotiators have been hard at work. They have been working closely with uh, uh, with trade negotiators from the United Kingdom, Great Britain, and uh, you know there's been a, a mutual goal to try to expedite uh, a trade agreement as soon as possible, and uh, hopefully by the end of this year, uh, we could see an agreement come together. I don't know if that means that just the negotiations will conclude or we may actually see implementation of a deal, but uh, I think that uh, it's in the best interest of both the United States and the United Kingdom to strike a deal as soon as possible. And it must be a deal that includes agriculture, even though that's a sensitive issue. Uh, but uh, I, I think that it's in the, the best long-term interest for both countries to have a deal in place as soon as possible. Now, keep in mind uh, Britain is still going through the, the Brexit process, and they'll continue to operate under the, the EU's, the European Union's uh, customs union rules uh, for the rest of this year. But as of the beginning of next year, uh, you know, those rules are off. And that means that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to continue to, to trade with uh, as many different countries as possible, but they don't necessarily have uh, those trade terms up and running. Uh, so from the British standpoint, you know, there's a lot of incentive to, to try to have these trade deals in place now so they can prepare uh, for, uh, you know, a post-EU uh, you know, trade environment. 
they are trying to negotiate, the British are trying to negotiate a, a separate trade agreement with the EU. Uh, that is not tracking very positively. Uh, the European Union is digging in, basically saying that they're, they're not going to compromise on anything. And the, the European Union has the leverage to do that. The one advantage that the United Kingdom has, that Great Britain has, is they have interested trade partners outside of the European Union. And first and foremost, that's the United States. There's a, a strong, close, special relationship, a shared history, a lot of uh, similarities between our two countries. Uh, but we don't have terms of trade in place. And so you have the leaders of both countries, both uh, President Trump and Boris Johnson from Britain, uh, that want to have uh, a trade deal in place. Uh, we need to strengthen that relationship. And so our negotiators have been hard at work, and, and we're starting to hear, uh, you know, that the, there may be some progress, that we may see some, some developments, uh, but we are, you know, uh, we still have a long way to go as far as negotiating that deal and, uh, and hopefully seeing something implemented by the end of the year. Yeah, and you know, it's it, a lot of times it's it's not so much facts and logic and reason um, that plays a big role in these trade negotiations. We saw that with China. You know, we can explain to the negotiators a thousand times how safe our beef is, and but if the people aren't in that mindset, it's tough. And it's the same thing with the UK, right? I mean, they've had you know decades of sort of like a Eurocentric viewpoint where, okay, we need, we're part of Europe and the continent and everything, and then almost an anti-Americanism. How do we break through that and, and convince the British people, which will lead the British politicians and officials and negotiators to a deal with us, basically, on, on beef? So I think, you know, there, there's a long history there, uh, obviously, uh, when it comes to food policy. And for the most part, you know, the United Kingdom has been the one European country uh, probably the leading European country that that has uh, tended to to lean more towards science-based decision making, uh, whereas France and some of the others, where it's much more about feeling and it's much more about some more subjective nature of terms, uh, the British have always been very uh, keen on science and trying to incorporate that as much as possible. But you have a consumer base that has that's operated under this EU mentality where science is bad and that, uh, you know, any, any technological improvements, uh, you know, could potentially harm you. Um, and so that's a, that's a mindset that takes time to change. I definitely think the British are, are open-minded. I think that they, they want to see a path forward. I think that uh, British agriculture uh, in UK overall will benefit greatly from a trade agreement with the United States, but for consumers, you know, even if we get our foot in the door and we're able to have open open trade and, you know, science-based, market-based trade with the UK, it's, it is going to take us some time as an industry to develop that trust with British consumers. And this is not the first time we've run into issues like this. So when you look at other markets, we've faced similar pushback. Uh, and, you know, and it hasn't always just been, you know, hormones or other things that, you know, we had uh, uh, you know, with Japan, there was concerns about BSE. With Korea, there were concerns about BSE. There were concerns about other production practices. Yeah, you have the uh, the front page of the newspaper with a million people marching in the streets of Seoul um, against U.S. beef, and we've 
somehow been able to turn that around. That's exactly right. And that's because, uh, you know, as an industry and our government has been very good to help in facilitating this, uh, we, we dev- first of all, we have to have rules-based trade, science-based trade. And then as an industry, you know, we can go forward and build that trust by marketing to consumers, by engaging with them, uh, by uh, introducing them to our products, showing them how it can be used. Uh, but also it's just having a good track record. Uh, you know, British consumers have not really been exposed to U.S. beef. We really haven't had an opportunity to uh, to, to market uh, in the U.K. Uh, but that is a that is a, uh, uh, a, 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 a that is a country that is prime for uh, more beef consumption. There's a lot of pork, a lot of a lot of poultry, uh, but beef is is one of those uh, is one of those dishes that just doesn't have a lot of exposure. Uh, you know, you have your traditional Sunday roast and other things like that. But I think there's a real opportunity for us to make some inroads in the UK. But the first thing we have to do is we have to remove these these EU barriers that have been in place. We have to have a science-based, uh, you know, terms of trade simply because, uh, you know, if we're going to have an honest and we're going to have a, a you know, if we're going to have a strong relationship moving forward, uh, then we have to have trust and we have to be able to build that on some objective standards. And I think the UK has an opportunity here to have UK standards that are separate from the EU, that are based on science, that truly represent the interest of British consumers. And I think that once we're able to have that discussion with them, once we're able to, to, to show uh, how the science backs up what we do, I think that we're going to have a lot of opportunities. And I think, you know, one of the things we've really tried to focus on are the similarities in U.S. beef production and British beef production. First and foremost, there are a lot of similarities between the Red Tractor program that is, is kind of the flagship uh, standard of all British agriculture um, and our beef quality assurance program here. You know, almost all of our producers are BQA certified. I know we're getting close to almost a 90% uh, BQA certification. And actually we've been, the BQA uh, standards have been around longer than the British Red Tractor program has been. Uh, but there are a lot of similarities in, uh, in the goals uh, of each of those programs. Uh, one of the, you know, uh, and one of the big things is that animal welfare is a, is a key component uh, for us. Uh, that is something that our industry has gone to great lengths uh, to champion. And I think you will find no stronger advocate for animal welfare and animal concerns than the American beef producer. Uh, that's just a part of, uh, that's a part of our mentality. That's a part of our principles. Uh, that's part of all of our business operations as well. And that's going to be a key thing, and that's something the British consumers need to understand is that, you know, we take animal welfare uh, and, and animal health very seriously. Uh, we're glad to know that they do as well. Uh, and we also care deeply about the environment. And when you look at our 2% greenhouse gas emissions, you look at our overall carbon footprint, it is right in line with the same carbon footprint and emissions that uh, British uh, beef producers have. So there are some very strong similarities in U.S. beef production and British beef production. And I think that is something that's going to go a long way. Uh, at the same time, 
you know, we fully understand that, uh, you know, this is a conversation that we're going to have to have directly with British consumers. And as long as you have, you know, folks like Jamie Oliver who are trying to stir up uh, dissension and trying to scare British consumers, we've seen some of the latest things they've they've put out in British tabloid media that are completely, uh, you know, unsubstantiated and, and non-fact-based. And some of just the inflammatory things they've said are just, they don't even dignify a response. But we tell a great story as American beef producers, and that is something that we're going to continue to do. Uh, so we look forward to this opportunity. We think that the UK is a, is a great, uh, has a lot of uh, great potential for being a great market for U.S. beef, being a great trade partner. And we look forward to hopefully seeing a trade agreement with U.S. beef as part of, uh, you know, as part of the overall package by the end of this year. All right. Looking forward to that. Um, and one of these days when we are all allowed to safely travel again and uh, pack into a restaurant again, um, I'm, I look forward to the day when we can be in London and have uh, delicious American-produced USDA Prime Kansas City strip, nice and medium rare in a British pub. So, um, Kent, thank you for joining us, and, and thanks for your efforts to, uh, to knock down these trade barriers. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.